The Aftermath, every Sunday morning from 6 o'clock on Tab Radio Racing and Sport. Let's uh, get to James Sully Sullivan. Thanks for waiting, Sal. Very good morning to you, mate. <laughs> Hello, Alex. Hello, Brad. I tell you what, Hello, it brings Sally. back memories of the Super League, doesn't it? Where blokes <laughs> used to just walk in and walk out with a check for 20000 a 100000 It just reminds me of that. But anyway... Hey, what were those numbers, Sally? Back... <laughs> what, what, morning, Sally. What were those numbers back in the day? What was what was um, what was Alfie getting and and blokes like that? They were getting incredible money, weren't they? Oh, incredible! Set them up for life. I, I've got a mate that obviously he was playing NRL and the, uh, he signed with the Super League, and I, I saw the twenty thousand dollar check. That was <laughs> that was just, and we're talking, you know, how long ago we are talking back in the eighties and eighties and the nineties. And then, um, yeah, I saw the check. That was just for signing on. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of money back in the day then, but still a lot of money around now, and some players whinging they're not getting enough. But I tell you what, I'm I, I, I mean, in awe of some of these rugby league players when they play Origin and then they back up, yeah. you know, for their clubs over the weekend. And I know it's two or three days and the clubs do pay them, but, gee whiz, we saw some brave men over the last couple of days. Well, let's have a look at quickly. Just go recapping because I think it's worthwhile. The uh, state of origin won the other night, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen Sully, and I'm not being facetious here. More, more talent in the box for the Maroons than that probably on the ground. Yeah, well, and obviously one of them was in the TV box. We couldn't <laughs> shut him up, Cam Smith. <laughs> Honestly, I love Cam Smith, but Origin, Cam, go, go and sit with Billy. Don't, don't talk on the TV. <laughs> but no, it was um, it was a it was a wonderful game, and and um, New South Wales got their pants pulled down. That's the bottom line. Um, mm. And it was that you know it was a seventeen. We we play seventeen men, not just thirteen. And the way Billy Slater used his bench, that's been amazing. The the numbers that have come out of that, with um, what they, what his bench produced more so than Brad Fittler and his New South Wales side and. It sets up. I thought this Queensland side, I actually did throw it out a few weeks ago that I thought they'd win the series, but I thought New South Wales would win game one and Queensland would get better and better. Holy smokes, watch out when they do because um, sets it up beautifully in a fortnight, boys, over there with you guys. That was a classic, though. That was an absolute beauty, that uh, game. And to see New South Wales come back in the last 10 minutes and, gee, they were so close, really, to uh, almost equaling it in the last 60 seconds or so. It was just a, an epic finish. Well under the Maroons, though. You stated this on this program last Sunday, Sal, that you thought Queensland were a really good shot at the odds because they picked players in form. And, gee, didn't mm. they play well? So just uh, on this weekend's games, we, we'll go through them in a moment. I haven't seen all the lineups. What percentage of players back up from Origin to play for their clubs? Are we uh, talking the majority or only a select few? Oh, no, I'd say 80%. Yeah, at least 80 And is that the player's decision or is it the club's decision, you think? None. Well, it'll be a mixture of both. Yeah. Um, the players, like, and we'll get to the Storm shortly, it'll be their blokes, and then also the Brisbane Broncos, uh, the blokes are backed up. But we saw what we could on for the Cowboys, and we saw Ben Hunt, of course, for, um, and Tarek Sims. Well, Tarek Sims didn't, but Ben Hunt did for the Dragons. So, um, yeah, most of them do, mate. Cam Murray did for the Rabbitohs last night, and he's just so important. And Damien Cook, Damien Cook played all but 65 minutes again last night for the Rabbitohs. So, yeah, no, mate, I'd say 80 to 85% uh, they do. And they know who pays their wages. That's the bottom line, in my opinion. Mm, absolutely. Well, Valentine Holmes backed up after a couple of days, cool. along with a, a big chunk of the uh, Cowboys squad there. Well, certainly a, a, a bunch of the Cowboys squad. And uh, he was, of course, sensational in origin with a couple of heroic acts. And uh, he got the job done with a kicking on Thursday, on Friday night. The Cowboys far too good for the Dragons, 31-12. What did you make of that one? 
He's got them going good. Toddy Payton, that's the bottom line. That They're the real deal. They're sitting out there nicely in the top four, nestled in the top four. And I think a lot of people are waiting for them to fall away. St. George went into that game winning five of their last seven. But who against? Well, we saw what happened. <laughs> the Cowboys. The worst thing about it, young um, Lukey, he's out for the year. He's done an ACL. So that's a shame for the young back rower. But, yeah, Cowboys, they're just rolling along nicely. I like, I like where they are. And, and I think Todd Payton will be pretty happy with where they're at. Just had to go and make a cup of coffee there, so I'll don't worry about that. But uh, <laughs> the Gold Coast couldn't match the Rabbitohs. No, but this is a massive game for both sides, Brad. Um, we, we know the Gold Coast have had their troubles, and, and that's called winning <laughs> in 2022. That's been their biggest problem. And the Rabbitohs have been clunky. They're coming along okay. Last night they were pretty good. They were pretty good in the second half when they were challenged, um, and they kicked away nice. As I said, Cook and Murray, you know, just so important for that Rabbitohs side. But then... Jesus set it up nicely for two cracking games after it. Yes. Oh, yes. And the first of those was the Storm and the Roosters. Storm produced a big finish to get over the top there, but that was an exciting match. It was, Alex. And, and the first half of this, I don't know if any people watched it, but it was enthralling. It was another one of those very much like Origin. Went so fast the first half. And the Roosters, young Joseph Sawali, there's a lot of hype on this kid, Brad. He's 18 mm-hmm. years old. I, I tell you what, he, he made the people sit up and take notice last night. He was outstanding. But the Storm, as the Storm do, um, eventually they just got that roll on. Kafusi scored a wonderful individual try. And then Hughes and Munster just controlled them nicely. We saw a young fella, I think he's about 23 actually, Grant Anderson, come in and make his debut on the wing. He scores two tries, which doesn't surprise you being in the Storm system. He just fitted in like a hand in a glove. And, mate, it was a cracking game of footy. It really, really was. And, the Storm have got an important period over this origin period because um, they play a lot of the sides in and around them in that top eight. So massive two points. And then the next game, dear oh me, this, the Broncos, they are, they are the walking wounded this morning. This is a massive win over the Raiders. Raiders have been good, but they've lost. Looks like Reynolds, um, uh, Farnsworth, there's a Payne Haas. Yeah, so they look like they've lost some big cattle, the Broncos. So massive win for them. Mind you, they need to keep banking those points. And they've done a good job, Kevy, hasn't he? I mean, he's, it's probably the most polarised club in the competition, isn't it? Whatever the, the Broncos are doing, good or bad, they seem to make headlines. Oh, 100%, Brad. And, and, and they've been a franchise that's been up and about since they came into the comp, obviously, under Wayne Bennett all those years ago. Uh, it was set up beautifully, but you're right. And, and now they're playing good footy. I've, I was talking to a couple of blokes. He hasn't mentioned football for months, this bloke, last night. All of a sudden, he wanted to talk footy. I went, who do you go for? And he goes, oh, the Broncos. I said, oh, no wonder you're talking. <laughs> uh, some cracking games. I think Alex has got the markets. So what do we look forward to today? Yeah, I do. I'll go through the first market. Uh, the Tigers and the Seagulls sell 243. The West Tigers and the Manly Seagulls at 157. Uh, is the market correct there? Yeah, I think so. Crazy week. For the West Tigers, obviously, you know, Brett Camorley will take control today. No Michael Maguire, which I just shake my head, Brad and, and Alex. I really, mm. really do. I, I just, what is going on there? Um, when businessmen want to get involved in the running of football or the man management of a footy team, you get in trouble. So um, I hope the Seagulls pants them, to be honest. Um, but um, they were good last week. Last week, Seagulls won their first game in Origin since 2015 last week. It's quite amazing to think that. So, yeah. Eagles, for me, I, I do like them. I think uh, I think they, they should be too strong for the Tigers. And in the second game with Tab Touch, 
It is Penrith 115, the Newcastle Knights 550. It seems as though a few of the Penrith Origin players, though, won't be backing up. Yeah, there's a couple. Liam Martin looks like he's not going to play. Uh, clear he's not going to play. But we've seen the depth that the Panthers have. They'll just come in and just do their job. So, yeah, I don't think they'll drop this one. Mind you, you know, the Knights sitting in 12th, they need to make a run, don't they, sooner or later. So, But I think the Panthers will be too strong at um, away there in Newcastle. New Zealand Warriors, Cronulla Sharks is the late game today. The Warriors 4-10, the Sharks 1-24. The Sharks going to be too good, so... Yeah, another new coach. Stacey Jones takes over the Warriors. Yeah, Sharks should be too good. They're a little bit hip, hip, up the last couple of weeks of Sharks, so they need to get back on track as well, you know, to cement their spot in that top eight. So, yeah, Sharks for me, boys. All right, so we've got three games today. Of course, the Eels and the Bulldogs tomorrow. Eels short price favourites there, but we'll leave that one for now. Eels 117, Bulldogs 510, incidentally, with Tab Touch. But how are we, how are we, we playing? Make, Where are we playing? How are we making a dollar today, Sal? <laughs> What's the Sunday saviour? Well, we got. We, we, I'll include that game tomorrow. Okay, I might right. as well include yep. it. But I got a little just multi. I'm going to go the the Sea Eagles at the line, which is minus four and a half. Then the Panthers, Sharks, Eels, all to win by seven or more. So you combine them. That's four dollars sixty six. Mm-hmm. And then the the old favourite. Let's score a try any time. Jason Saab for the Manly Sea Eagles. Into Taylor May from the Penrith Panthers. Into the big back rower for the Parramatta Eels, Sean Lane. At nine dollars and one cent. Oh, right. you're guilty. Hey, uh, so hey Sol, before you yeah, go, yeah, before you go, obviously in AFL we have what we call a soft cap for the coaching and that. You, talk, you spoke about Madge at Maguire getting the eleven and at uh, West. Uh, he got about eight hundred thousand. Do you have any something similar in the rugby league or not? Well, I, I, I'm under. The, he'll get paid. Uh, he'll get yep. paid out, of course, Madge. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the coaching's not included in their salary cap as such, though, Brad. Right. Uh, but yep. I'll, I'll find that out. But I know Madge will get. Mate, he's still getting paid out from South. So, um, <laughs> he, he, how do we get these jobs? That was, oh, that's what I mean. How do you get? I want to get, get paid that? to fail. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, it blows me away the way they do it. Um, the funny thing with the coaching scenario, it's not as if you know we've lost three already, and it's round 14. But, yeah. you know, who's, who's going to replace these blokes? Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Madge ends up at, maybe with one of the other jobs, to be totally honest. We all know, and people yeah, right. might not realise, he, he is New Zealand national coach, um, yeah. which people yeah. might not realise. So who knows? The Warriors or the Bulldogs, for me, they're at rock bottom. He wants a club that it's a rock bottom and try and bring them up. That could be the way he might go. <laughs> How's life yeah. in the nation's capital, so? How's the calling Good. going in the State League? Yeah, good mate. Yeah, yeah, it's been good fun. I'm just out. I'm out in Leeton at the moment, boys. I'm um. Oh, I'm you calling today? No, no, no. I'm out in my hometown for oh, yeah, a fifth year. So, um, oh. being a Leeton boy, I get to see mum. So, and mum's 85 on Tuesday. So, I'm going to oh, happy birthday, mum. Tuesday. Well, yeah, I'm going to stay till Tuesday and take her out for brekkie. <laughs> uh, you're not getting across the Perth of the uh, state of origin, too, are you? I certainly am, Brad. Uh-huh. Yes, it, it'll reach out. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. <laughs> Good on you, pal. Can't wait well for it, Sal. Can't wait for it. Sunday, June 26th at Optus Stadium. And uh, looking forward to catching up with you while you're over here. I'm sure you'll be in the studio. Love it. Thanks for chatting, Rugby League. Sal, so we'll catch you on the Sports Daily during the week. Have a crack in Sunday, boys. See Thanks, ya. mate. James Sully Sullivan chatting in RL. And those, uh, well... 
Maltese slash Sunday Saviors will be up on social media in a few minutes' time. It is 28 minutes to 7. Brad, Pete Snowden will be joining us after the break to chat the brilliant victory of She's a Belter in the JJ Atkins Stakes yesterday. The Aftermath, every Sunday morning from 6 o'clock on Tab Radio Racing and Sport. And then coming Heroic Sun, and last of all is Mashani Spartan at the 4.50. Coco Brooks Pressy with the lead. Second, the outsiders, Twin Stars. Basky up back nearer the inside. Ringmaster running home. She's a belter down the outside. Brereton is further back, and right down the outside is Lethal Thoughts making ground, but she's a belter has stormed the lead here. Trying hard, the insiders, Basky Yard. She's a belter's in front from Basky Yard. Uh, late is Brosden down the outside. Sharp and Spark coming late as well, but she's a belter in front from a wall. She's a belter has won from photos. Political debate flash time as did Brosnan, Basquiat, sharp and smart. Wait for the judge there. Then yeah, she's a belter, sensational, completing the size produce and JJ Atkins double yesterday, almost $1.5 million in the kitty now. And uh, she's, of course, yet to turn three years old. Peter Snowden joins us on the line now, the co-trainer. Peter, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Alex Flaholz and Brad Hardy with you. Congratulations on the win yesterday. Morning, Alex, Brad. How are you? No, it's a great morning to wake up to after that result yesterday. It was a brilliant one, Peter. Well done to you, and oh, what a peach of a ride from Willie Pike. He was very positive out of the gates, wasn't he? And even though he seemed to be tracking about two and three wide down the back there, Pete, but he had a back to follow. Yeah, he always had cover. Mate. You ride there. Probably the best part of his ride was just to come to the corners, a few trying to pop out underneath him, and uh, and be in the finish. But he, he soon put that to bed, uh, at the rest, because he shuffled back in on two occasions so uh, it was adds more merit to her win too because it's very hard when you do that it's 500 kilos you're pushing back in and he did it twice on that particular horse and and um, only better riders know how to do that balance her up again and she's good enough to put her head out and just keep charging at the line so tremendous performance I'm very very proud of her so what she's done has been amazing you know I was never going to never going to back her up I always thought she'd done enough and uh, I mean, being a two-year-old, you want to look after them. But uh, the last two weeks, she just thrived again. I could, didn't think she could do it. But uh, working Tuesday morning was outstanding. So I had, I had second thoughts about it then. I said, no, she definitely needs to have the race again. Yeah, she was absolutely magnificent. How did she travel in the run yesterday? Because it did look like she, she was slightly uncomfortable at stages. And then that, that must have taken a bit out of her That uh, when she almost got turned sideways at the top of the straight. What did Pikey say when he came in? Yeah, look, he said that we were very mindful of the day, the way it was going, the track was really drying out. It was getting very harder and harder to make ground for the back because it was very slick. They were going steady early and they were very hard to peg back. So, you know, mind on paper, there wasn't a lot of speed there. So we thought we might be just a touch closer without lighting her up too much early. And uh, really sent her the message to sort of go forward a little bit more. And she reacted a bit, a little bit too much to it early, got a little bit keen. But she settled mid-race. I was happy there. I thought she settled well now. She's, she's got a backside to follow and she's relaxing going through her, her work nicely. And then uh, when he asked her to quicken, he said he just had a lap full of horse there. He had a, a power horse underneath him. And when he got that sort of feel underneath you, you can do whatever you want because you know you've got a horse that's going to keep on finding. So uh, now he said it was... Tremendous thrill for him, and uh, especially some of the people there, uh, Justin Warwick, I think he knows him, he's ridden for him before, and all WA owners, so it was a huge thrill. Sure was. How did the, how did the horse come to come to you, Peter, and, and, your, and your son, Paul? And the other one was, too, you probably would have been a little concerned early in the campaign with the, the wheels spinning in the heavy tracks in Sydney. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, associated started. I had a horse for Justin about three, three, four years ago. Uh, one that uh, came to us that he that he had that is uh, with Darren Weir, and then when he got time, um, he asked me to take her on, and we had a bit of luck with her, and uh, sold at the at the broodmare sale, and she made big money, and uh, he was. Uh, very, very grateful that we were able to get that, that result for him. And, and um, it was about three years ago, I think. And then a phone call just came out of the blue. Um, I didn't even see the race that she ran in in the Magic Man's in WA. And she said, like a nice filly. I think she's too good to hear. Uh, you, you should, you know, will you take her? And uh, I said, yeah, no worries. I had a look at the race. I thought she did a good job. She'd come from last and swapped them and looked a pretty decisive win, not knowing the form at all, but it looked, it looked a solid win to the eye. And... Uh, and Cobra was pretty bad at W at the time, and thinking she'd just fly over the plane. Well, that was not going to happen. She had to, she had to float over, so it was a long. That's a long, long way on a truck, let me tell you. Um, and when she got to Melbourne, uh, she was light as a cork. She really felt the long trip. We gave her a week off, and she's been in work ever since. So what she does is amazing. Well, Peter, on that, is it a surprise that a two-year-old filly coming from Perth has been able to? put up with what she's been able to put up with in the uh, long trip to uh, the East Coast and, of course, those couple of really debilitating runs on heavy tracks and then come out the other side of it and been able to win a Group 2 and a Group 1? No, I can honestly say hand on heart, that's the toughest horse I've ever had to do with uh, and being a filly as well because what she's endured um, over the last 8 to 12 months, 8 to 10 months, it's just been she's... Justin said he brought her into work, broke her in. She'd been in work the whole time. She never left the stable. So she never really had a break. Just she had that float trip from WA to Melbourne. She had a week in the paddock then and back into work. And uh, I think she's done all that and still come out with two career highlights. The last two starts is, is amazing in itself. And that's why in my mind I didn't really want to go to the JJ. I just thought she's done enough. Uh, we need to look after her, give her a good spell. But she just showed me nothing to tell me to tell me she needed a break. Uh, as I said, her work on Tuesday was outstanding. So I can honestly say, and I've had a lot of associated a lot of lot of two-year-olds, and she's definitely the toughest one I've come across. Peter, the stables had a great carnival, but uh, earlier in the day yesterday, Rangers, what an honest horse this is. I mean, he's just a beauty, absolute cracker. Yeah, they're the feel-good stories. Um, boys, he's a horse that's struggling benchmark heavy two races for 12 months, and uh, it was just one day where it's just tinkling with gear, and I just tried to I put a visor on him because he used to have blinkers on, he'd have a race, with winkers on, he'd, he'd pull up, and uh, just little things, so he just wasn't giving us 100%. I just put advisors on there, just as we know, blinkers, with the sides cut out, and they're pretty simple, pretty basic. But that horse has turned his form around from day one, uh, and he's been a solid campaigner ever since, and um, was winning was winning back in that benchmark, and, and uh, started to race well, kept going up a bit more on grade, he was competing well. But uh, the last six months, he just, just, he's just a different horse, and uh, the ride he's taken, his owners on, has just been outstanding. They were there yesterday, they were the crazy ones. Uh, after he won, and God bless him, that was good to see him because he's one of those horses who just gives 100%. He never, he never ever backs down. Uh, and you see in the finish yesterday, he head out. He's like a crocodile looking for oxygen. So he's just out and up and just uh, really, really trying, really trying to win. And that's a good sight to see for a trainer. Oh, that's brilliant. What was the um, fallout of Huetor's run? Uh, just the pace, there's a classic example of pace related. They just went very, very slow down the back. 
he was a long way back, a uh, long way off. He's 15 or 18 lengths off them and just gave them too much start off at a steady pace. When they started to quicken up, he tried to go around them, but it was never going to work there. He had too much work to do on a quickening speed. So, look, uh, disappointed he didn't get a result, but I, I'm certainly not disappointed with the horse the way he's going because I think he's going really well. And uh, We've got another chance in the spring. He'll have a short break now. He actually went to the paddock this morning, you know, three weeks out and uh, back in and we'll get ready for the spring. But I'm sure you'll hear more of him later on. Peter, before we let you go, you must touch on She's a Belter going forward. Of course, you'll go for a very well-deserved break now. Two-part question. What distance do you think she'll excel at from a three-year-old season and onwards? And what races do you target in the spring? Yeah, that's a good question. I have to have a good think about that. It's... Um, with this filly, you, you just can't put a limit on what she could do, like she's already showed. Oh, that was a good field, that JJ, yesterday. Those were two very smart horses in that, two colts that look like you'll definitely be their group one horses for sure. Rogerson's horse and horse of Wallace, they're two, two very smart colts to, to beat them up uh, at the end of a long preparation. And then they're probably at their peak. Uh, I thought that was that added more merit to her win. So how far she goes, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know, but uh, we'll have a good think about that and just map out a plan. The important thing is we've got a horse that's going to be very competitive and no matter what we run around, there's a stack of three-hour races coming up, sprinting distances right up to um, mild group one races. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a stack of races in Melbourne for us. So we're just going to put around and have a think about it, have a bit of a plan, but we won't start off too big. We'll just start with the Phillies races early and then uh, just see how she progresses. Well, we're a big fan of She's a Belter over here, that's for sure. Peter, it was magnificent to see the filly do so well in her uh, two runs up in Queensland. You've done a wonderful job. Thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, best of luck going forward and into the spring as well. Pleasure, guys. Much appreciated. Thank Peter you. Snowden there, co-trainer. Good on you, Peter. I wonder if that's Peter on the treadmill or the horses. <laughs> it was pretty consistent in the background there, wasn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's near a walker. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was him. And uh, the other one, too, just quickly, I know we're going to get the race to Ralphie, but Najmati held the uh, punter's hopes to the last and uh, explosive again. But uh, the thing of Chrissy Munster's just found the right run on the fence and uh, saw him off. Yeah, and it's another placing there for Najmati. It was a... And I guess a roller coaster day in many ways for the Snowden camp. Yesterday they had some really good horses going around, some really good chances, of course. Got those couple of successes with Ranger and uh, She's a Belter, but it could have been better uh, with the likes of Huet or, of course, the uh, one of the favourites, the favourite in the mm. Q22 going under and Naj Marty being beaten as a clear favourite in the Dane Ripper. Racetrack Ralphie joins us now. Uh, good morning to you, Ralphie. How do we find you this morning? Alex and Brad with you. Uh, good morning, boys. Yeah, you find me terrific. Um, you want me to talk slow in the world to talk about this soon now meeting to so that's all good. It's quite remarkable. It seemed, it seemed, to, it seemed to be going in slow motion, Ralphie, didn't it? The heavy nine yesterday. and Yeah, there was oh, a, bit of, a yeah, hell of a lot of rain down there during the week. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty cold at the moment, so not really drying conditions. And I suppose as a punter, all you can ask for is, is the best information to put across. So, in fairness to the Sandown team, on a Wednesday and Thursday, they said heavy nine. I thought, gee, that's probably heavier than I expected. That's exactly how I played. I've got Vince's, uh, Vince's times of through, which will give us some insights. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty average way going in. And uh, now look at the clock, it's even more average. <laughs> All right. Well, if we need to buy some time, let's just touch on or ask you, what are your thoughts on the Eagle Farm program yesterday, Ralphie? It was a brilliant day to watch. Who stood out for you? What performances? <laughs> No, I was very happy about that. We did a year-end carnival preview podcast, and um, and uh, yeah, Vince was uh, a bit better. I gave a on top, and I uh, I actually liked the second horse there. 
<laughs> so uh, that, that's where the self-interest was. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. Private eye, Joe Pike. Um, really good. Uh, once again, another group of oh. Willie Pike. Um, and uh, I don't know that Sky 3 2 was the, uh, was the fastest run race. Interesting what the clock will bring up there because gee, there were some rides at the back that were a bit, bit uh, uninvolved early, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, it seemed to be hard. Geez, you're unlucky with um, Joe Pride's horse. I mean, uh, you know, drew the, drew the one alley and thought, oh, that's not going to suit this horse, but a uh, very clever ride and just couldn't get the brakes at the top of the straight and uh, would have made it very interesting, although you can't take anything away from Alligator Blood. I'll tell you what, that is an absolute thing. What about every time there's a big race, the automatic uh, assumption is that a wide barrier is a disadvantage and, and an inside barrier is an advantage. And, on on Brett Nathan, I could not have ridden that better because he's a horse that's midfield or worse and got a three, three pairs back, which is exactly in its comfort zone. Didn't get the brakes because that's barrier one for you, whereas Alligator Blood had full momentum. But the past three weeks, the, uh, the big price winners have been the Oaks, the, the Derby, not big price, sorry, the big, big winners have been the Oaks, the Derby and the, uh, and the Stradbroke, all from white barriers because full momentum is usually in the best part of the track. So... I think that's one thing punters really need to take, take hold of. They're not in uh, big races of wide barriers or disadvantage. It's quite the story, the alligator blood Ruffy. story, isn't it? There's been a few different layers to it all. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one thing you put, put out that gave me some real clarity because, you know, he'd obviously had some time away and you thought, oh, big first up run could he be flat. But, you know, he tried like a, like a demon at uh, early February in Sydney. So because he couldn't run there, that at least gave you clarity that he was really forward in February. So it wasn't like... It was, you know, uh, that run came from nowhere first up. So that, that was a really important part of it. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's the other thing you say, what else they traded with us for 75 years. That probably should come in. <laughs> so, he's a genius at the other side. We're going absolutely even better with Adrian Bott as well. So that was, uh, but as you said, it's also the, the, the narrative behind it and the many layers. But when it comes down to just looking at uh, what, what it does on paper, it's able to return to what, what it was two years ago, which was just said that Super won, it, won the three-year-old, the, uh, the three-year-old Magic Millions, the Australian Guineas and the All-Star Mile. Uh, just before we leave that out, Ralphie, because I know we've got a big program to get through at Sandown, but the Alligator Blood story had a, well, a, a really uh, emotional one, wasn't it? Because uh, the, the the owner's wife, Joy Endress, um, she's obviously not going to be with us too much longer, unfortunately, but um, he, and he, they were watching from or listening from Albury, um, which is quite a quite a thing, isn't it? When you when you horse, it can really lift your spirits. But what a sad story that appears to be. Absolutely, and uh, and yeah, fighting fighting the good fight there, and. Um Unfortunately, it's just such a bastard of a, of a disease that uh, that when um, that it's not going to actually do anything other than provide uh, short term uh, short term lifting of spirits. But it certainly would have done that yesterday. And yeah, yeah super story behind the scenes as well. And also uh, when it comes to the uh, the horsemanship involved with uh, with the actual getting it back to its best is, is also a big dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Let's kick off this. What and, about um, race one yesterday, mate? Because yeah, yeah, yeah she dances look good to the naked race eye. One and... Mm. Look, um, this is a horse to follow. So, um, you know, first use of the track, and, and that maybe that can be taken into account, et cetera, et cetera. But look at Ashford Street. He's just absolutely airborne, and it's ran 0.3 of a second slower before you take any adjustments in the sectional times or anything else like that. So um, that is a very good uh, line-up here. So she dances was mid uh, low teams odds in the morning. It got into $8. Yep. We had jump outs that had been leading and tapering, so it just shows you, once again, be careful of underestimating speed. But here, there was a big mid-race anchor drop as well, and again, I'm going on bits of time, so 
mate, to break 12 seconds last 200. Not many horses were doing that yesterday. And as I said, if, if it was just in isolation, you'd say, OK, maybe first use of the track. But because we've got the parity of Astrid Street just, you know, 35 minutes later, this is actually a horse we can follow with a lot of confidence. I think she'll just smash the next start as well. So uh, that's, that's a really nice debut. Yes, it was a weak ground, but, uh, but you couldn't do more than what it did. And the uh, others might improve on better going, but we know that she's now produced a pretty good marker. Our race two was over a thousand metres. You spoke of Ashford Street. Every analysis and pundit and tipper wanted it. It's just the price held up well. Yeah, I think it was just because the, uh, the, the the change in weight there after its uh, after its last start win, and and also there was there was that reality that you know Sally Ledger might get a soft lead, and that's what it needed to get because it didn't get that soft lead at Caulfield, as I mentioned to you guys at the time, because. Um, it was the uh, the leader that day absolutely flew of um, of uh, Jim Serkis in the race, and that set it up for Ashford Street. Um, that's a young lamb, of course. So you know there was that argument there, but ultimately it's just in the zone, it's just doing everything right. And Star Religion, maybe that's just the end of the campaign for it as well because it's got very very tired late. So Ashford Street just keeps doing what it's doing and wouldn't be following anything else out the rest of it. Race three, uh, Moscow Red, well ridden by Will Price, one for Henry Dwyer. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty basic form going in. So when a rising nine-year-old mare wins dominantly at a benchmark, you know, you going to say, no, nah, we'll, uh, we'll give this race a guess. Was there uh, any more informed stable than Paddy Payne at the moment in race four? Absolutely fine, yeah. I looked at his stats again yesterday. I think the past month it's been absolutely through the roof. And uh, as we often say, when, when stables are informed, it's amazing they can get the bob of the head and everything its way. One of the things to, to look at here for the Star of Chaos, just for the punters on it, and I know, you know, we've got five minutes for this, just briefly mention it. That was flat run territory, and I'm not being a hindsight genius here. This was one I did get right. This was one to stay away from because it went from a slow race into 10 days later, exploding early, and it was legal at played, even that one by seven lengths, and all its speed was early. So to back up 10 days later as a filly, that was just be very careful. Well, again, she's gone flat out. Her last 200 metres, she just broke benchmark. I'm, I'm being, uh, sorry, she just broke even time. Uh, 14.40, her last 200. She couldn't lift her legs. So don't be surprised if she rebounds next start. And that's probably one to sort of have a bit of a look at. Because the times were terrible, but they all, they were just, it looked it looked like they were walking home and their time said exactly that. So the one that could uh, elevate off this is Star of Chaos. My Yankee girl is very impressive to the naked eye, the three-year-old American pharaoh filly in the fifth. Yeah, she was terrific. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. This win at all, and loves the wet ground. Um, just a slight chalky change there with great man all going on, which obviously helped as well. But she, she did everything right and, and just dominated. Uh, really loved the wet ground, which which was shown before as well. So um, I'm sure uh, the Salonichi boys will be loving, hoping it, uh, it stays stays wet because uh, it's probably got another win in store for it for sure. A mile and a half, first leg of the quaddy. Did you find the winner? It wasn't hopeless, was it? I mean, it loomed to start before, but horrifying certainly found the line yesterday. You know what I found? I found the second horse, so that was a bit of pain there, Brad. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah, if you get beaten by the favourite on a $20 shot, you go, oh, well, but when you get beaten by a $20 shot, by a $20 shot, it hurts, particularly when it's the first leg of the quaddy. So <laughs> that, uh, that was uh, a bit of pain there. This was very similar. Remember Wichita Star won a race like this about uh, with the last meeting here on the Saturday. And very similar here. Good pro- yep. proactive ride by Joe Bouchard. I didn't go fast early. And then when he took off, 
that just left everything else um, out, of, out of tickets trying to trying to catch up because he took off at the 800 metre mark. Didn't wait till we uh, didn't wait till I straightened, and then nothing could catch it, including the image award. Uh, was his last 200, 1360. There you go. <laughs> all just walking home, and no, everything was too tired chasing it. So image award. Ice is gone now, but it'll probably win next start on the wet track. So it, uh, it just loves the conditions. What's your opinion of this uh, French bread uh, gelding, Vicinari? Looks a progressive type, took out the seventh. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we've got a feeling on it yet. It's, uh, it, and just beautifully written yesterday by Jordan Childs. I mean, I'm not a white man, as, as, as I often say, but, you know, so you carry 61 and a half, but I, I don't think an apprentice... Uh, would have done as good a job as Jordan yesterday. So he's just riding so well at the moment, and the, the market was happy to take the 51 kilos. And he's he's just won, but we've got a good market because Chief Alvin is absolute duck and just loves the heavy conditions. So I don't think we've got a feeling on it yet. Um, last start after Caulfield, I did say you know it's a big track horse. So uh, you know they've, they've gone here very wet conditions, but it can probably win again. Back to Flemington as well. So yeah, it's still on the up. Chief Alvin, there'll be a race for it for sure. Sig Positano, well fancied in race eight, the second last, but uh, Umgawa, too good. Yeah, a little bit of head wobble here, and this was um, the dip time. This one with the blinkers back on, back to 1300 from the mile, but you know you knew it was going to be a slog, so really, uh, really good placement here. They found the right race for it. Old Plank, though, it's, um, it showed a little bit of a spark there. It wasn't terrible um, first up at. Uh, at Warnable uh, because of it uh, missed the start that day, but you know it's just did enough in the in the mid race and bottomless track, and now it's, it's gone well again. So they might find a race for Palenque, but I'm um, going. No improvement to come, none needed. It's, it's actually run good time relative to the day, but you know obviously they were coming on very very slowly. And what did you make of the last race, the Irish Bread Gallop again in the Cash Mankayan? Oh, he's, gonna, he, he's, he's just going to keep winning this horse. I actually won first up over the mile. I said he could be a ticket fencer this winter and I've maintained that call. So 2000 is going to be even better and how they're going to beat it at this time of year in the 2400 type races. So, yeah, absolutely horse to follow. But, yeah, probably book in the uh, meeting, boys. Man, Kayan and Street Dance is the, is the horse that we're going to follow in a pretty plain day. Beautiful work, Ralphie. Racetrackralphie.com.au for all the black bookers. Absolutely. And got the NND beating on tomorrow, uh, wherever you are in the country. But uh, go to the D's. All right, lovely work. Yes, go the D's up against the Pies tomorrow in the traditional clash. Uh, thanks for your time, Ralphie. Catch you again next Sunday. Good on you, boys. Racing and sports from different angles. You are listening to The Aftermath on Tab Radio Racing and Sports. Apache chases further back and Alligator Blood and right towards the outside is also Buffalo River at the 400 metres marker. Rothfire's the leader. Isotopers out after him. Ayrton's down the outside. Lords of Indices is still there. Alligator Blood is running home as well. And further back in the field too. Socks are gone. Rothfire is still the leader. Here comes the Blood now. Alligator Blood on the outside. Stormed up and took over. Alligator Blood's in front. Flashing late Private Eye. But Alligator Blood won the straight break from Private Eye. Third Rothfire photo, fourth. Uh, out wide Brooklyn yeah, what a story it is. Alligator Blood taking out the Group 1 Stradbroke yesterday. One of the two Group 1s on the program. Of course, the other was taken out by the WA Philly. She's a belter. And uh, form analyst Paul Joyce joins us to dissect the massive program from Eagle Farm yesterday. Good morning to you, Paul. Alex Flahos and Brad Hardy with you this morning. How do we find you? Yeah, good morning, Alex. Morning, Brad. And good morning to all your listeners. Uh, you find me in a great mood. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in southeast Queensland this morning, considering in the middle of winter. It's going to hit 20 degrees and there's not a cloud in the sky. So not a bad day to wake up to. 
And uh, what a day's racing we had out of Brisbane yesterday. The Eagle Farm track once again just came through in flying colours. The track raced terrifically well, up on speed, down the outside. And I think the straight broke summed it up as good as anything. We had Roth Pyre leading them up and kick under a frantic tempo. You had Alligator Blood sort of circle the field and charge. And in the meantime, Private Eye was trying to weave through the ruck and absolutely rattled home late. So I think the track held up well. And the Stradbroke handicap, as it always is, it was an open affair and it's always a great race to watch. And it, it was won by the best horse, although you could probably argue the runner-up was a bit stiff. My word, Joycey, Brad, mate. Well done. Great, uh, great stuff yesterday. And Isotope, even though it finished fourth, I mean, ridden a little bit differently yesterday. So, as you said, the, the way the track was playing, a few tactical changes for a few uh, few stables there. Yeah, I think uh, I think that on the map it was always going to be a furiously run Stradbroke and in a way, I think probably Tommy Berry on Rothfire really putting that foot down early and making his intentions known. It, it probably changed the way a few of the others were ridden. I think a few of those other on-pace runners decided to take a sit and obviously carved out some fast sections in front. But, like, I thought Timmy Clark's ride on the winner, uh, Alligator Blood from Barrier 17, he was happy just to ride the horse. He sat midfield, he got cover, he got going before the turn so he wouldn't get locked up. And it's funny how the last couple of weeks we've seen those wide barriers. Gypsy Goddess last week, wide barrier, the price blew out, she overcame it and won. And this week, Alligator Club threw out, the price blew out, and he won. And if anything, the inside barrier for Private Eye was probably thought about his undoing. Brent Navdala, I thought, did everything mm. he possibly could to keep it within striking distance. But sometimes when you've drawn the one, it's not easy to get off. And that's what happened to Brenton yesterday, everywhere he went. The doors shut on him, and by the time he finally got out, the bird had flown. And I think those who back private eye would be waking up this morning with just feeling a little bit worse for wet. Absolutely, you'd think so, uh, having not gotten out till the uh, middle of the straight, but really not too much Brenda could do about it there, as you said, the barrier. A bit of a curse for a back marker like Private Eye. Uh, preceding the uh, J, uh, the uh, Stradbroke was the JJ Atkins. She's a belter, sensational, defeating political debate in Brosnan. How did you analyse the first of the Group 1s, Paul? Yeah, look, it was uh, it was a really good race for JJ Atkins this year because you, you had the size produce form, which is traditionally the best form and clearly the best form. And she's a belter, belted them in the size produce. So she carried that form into the race and she started second favourite. But this year, the Phoenix, which was run seven days prior to the JJ Atkins, it produced political debate and it produced sharp and smart. Now, these two horses actually went to the post, as it turned out, favourite, third favourite, but for most of the week, they were the two vying for favouritism until political debate had that little hiccup with a bit of lameness during the week. So it was always going to be interesting to see how that form stacked up. But I think what the crowd would have loved, they would have loved Willie Pike. He produced an absolute peach of a ride on the on the filly. She's a belter. And uh, she was going to win the race probably 300 from home. And, and she didn't disappoint. She went right on with the job. Political debate. Look, I think we've got to be a bit forgiving for him. He got further back than usual. He'd obviously had a problem during the week. He did rattle home and run second. And Sharp and Smart found a little bit of traffic and was only beaten three quarters of the length in the fourth. So really strong addition of the JJ Atkins. Always a race you can follow these three-year-olds. If not into the spring, definitely into the autumn next year. And it'll be interesting to see which ones come back for a shot at the late part of the spring because I think three of those four, and even the third horse, Brosnan, I think they're all very smart three-year-olds. Yeah. 
Uh, Dalla had a great day in the saddle, really, didn't he, without winning. Uh, Brosnan was a superb rod. He tracked Willie Pike everywhere, just couldn't match him in the end. And as you said, we, we know what happened with Fry. But I, what about uh, in the in the Brisbane Cup? Uh, I know you love your your sport per se, Joycey, and uh, big Hawthorne connection in Irish sequel. What a, the Irish eyes were smiling in that race, one, two. Yeah, they were, the Irish eyes. I know a lot of people who backed Irish eyes were a bit disappointed they went the wrong Irish. But, uh, look, a 3,200-metre race, worth $400,000. <laughs> I don't think we'll see any Melbourne Cup horses come through that edition, but you just never know. I mean, once you've ticked a 3,200-metre box, I suppose there's only one target from there, isn't there, and that's the Melbourne Cup. So we'll keep an eye on those horses. I think the strongest staying race was certainly the Q22 this year. Mm. Uh, obviously, Numerian was well-rated in front, got away with some very cheap sections from about the 1,400 to the 600, and it just took the back markers right out of play. The favourite, Uetor, found himself right out the back. He just couldn't run on. And Numerian zipped home in a pretty slick final 600, and mathematically, the back markers didn't really have a chance. I think you'll find that Basically, the first four around the turn have run one, two, three, four. And probably the run of the race was maximal. He was right out the back. Nashra will have cut the corner and mm. tried everything to make up the ground and was only beaten two lengths on the line. So maybe maximal's a horse that he's taken his time to hit his straps here in Oz, but just looking at his last two starts, maybe John O'Shea's got him worked out. And, and I do think the key for him is dry tracks. Yeah, and you, Marion, that's uh, now two winners. Uh, in a row for Annabelle Nisham in the Q22, of course, won it with Zaki last year. Just looking at the result yesterday, an Irish-bred horse won from a New Zealand-bred horse, from a USA-bred horse, from a Hungarian-bred horse, so not an Australian <laughs> sight. But uh, New Mirror, do you think he could be competitive in, say, a Cox Plate or a Caulfield Cup in the spring? Yeah, look, it was interesting hearing Annabelle talk after the race because I know, I know she's always had Zaki a couple of lengths ahead of New Marion. Uh, but I think with Zaki sort of having a slightly underwhelming campaign and Numerian, the new kid on the block, with that dominant win yesterday, I would say Annabelle said she's probably thinking Caulfield Cup. I think that's the way I'd be thinking uh, because he's probably going to get in reasonably well at the weights at this stage. He's still acclimatising to Australia. He's won his last two starts now, and yesterday's win probably showed the class that he's got, and he obviously handles all sorts of ground, so... To me, he'd be a Caulfield Cup horse with Zaki, a Cox Plate horse, and uh, we'll see how that unfolds into the spring. But uh, certainly, I'd be expecting to see his name pop up in the north. Before we let you go... Uh, uh, Joycey, before sorry. we let you go, yeah, we need sorry, to go go, the sunny coast, mate. Yeah, come on. No, I was just saying, you before we let Joycey go, he's been in red-hot form. Let's, something for the sunny coast, mate, something for the punters. Some for the battlers. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got a couple for you at the sunny coast today, and they're in a reasonable price, too. Uh, look, the, I'll start with my value bet because it's in the first race, and that's always a nice way to start if you can hit a double-figure winner. But there's a horse there called CIC, race one, number three, and it's going to go around a double-figure odds from a wide gate. But looking at the map, I think Cole Wilson-Taylor will get across quite cheaply, put him on, on speed. And I really like this horse, two starts back off a run at Ipswich, but then he failed on a really sticky, gluey, heavy track. I can tell you today off a of freshen up, we're back nearly on top of the ground. I think it's a soft five, but it's all virtually a good four. And I think CIC's the horse that will really bounce back today. So that's race one, number three. And one that's a bit harder in the market, but I also, also think can win is race three, number one, Corella Shores. This horse is coming off a much stronger race at Doobin, where the leader controlled, kicked and won. And Corella Shores came from last on the turn to grab second. I think the race will be a lot better for him today on the bigger track here and back in grade. So race three, number one, Corella Shores. 
uh, and race one, number three, CIC. Hopefully gets us off to an absolute flyer there this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, Wilson Taylor double and uh, fresh off a uh, fantastic ride earlier in the week on Sinbar for Gerald and Sterling. That was a, that was a big win. Wasn't that a big win yet, the midweeks? I know they had Sinbar entered in the gun sin uh, for yesterday and they decided to go to the easier option and they certainly made the right call. But I'd be saying Sinbar's got group, uh, group or stakes grade written all over him. So uh, he's definitely one you want to be following, guys. Paul, thanks so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Best of luck at the Sunshine Coast today. Yeah, no, always a pleasure. Lovely to chat. Good hunting. Thanks, Paul. Paul Joyce joining us on the program. He's a beauty. He certainly is. He certainly is. It's quarter past... Co- ex- no, no, I was just going just to say before we leave that, because I know we're going to talk basketball and a lot of other things as well. I mean, Kieran McAvoy probably just didn't sum up the, the races yesterday, as you said, with Tour and also uh, Flying Crazy. He just, just got too far out of, out of his ground on both occasions on those two horses. were both both well fancied and unfortunately um, didn't didn't appear. No, yeah, not not too much uh, luck there, unfortunately. Racing and sport from different angles. You are listening to the aftermath on Tab Radio Racing and Sport. Yeah, just the most remarkable performance there from Steph Curry yesterday morning our time. Shane Hill joins us to talk about the NBA Finals. Shane, Alex Lahos and Brad Hardy with you this morning. Very good morning. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning, fellas. Good time with the NBA, isn't it? Oh, it's it's Brilliant. it's a remarkable time of the year. We we love it each and every June NBA Finals, and I tell you what, this series after that win from Golden State yesterday is setting up for a mouth-watering conclusion. Well, it certainly hasn't let us down, has it? You would have thought yep. the eyes told you that Boston were going to be able to get that win and uh, and probably you know be favourites for the series like they were, but your head told you otherwise with Steph Curry just never to write him off. Forty-three points and seven uh, seven threes was. Just incredible. And I thought Wiggins was unbelievable as well. I think he had 17 points and 16 rebounds and really just played a great role. Shane, Brad, mate, uh, I'm sure you're in your element right now. Uh, the cream rises to the top, doesn't it? It's the one who manages the big points or the big moments. That's the difference between winning and losing. Well, it is, Brad. You know that as well as anybody. And, uh, you know, I guess that's the thing, isn't it, with uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green these guys, when you add Wiggins in there as well, they've been there and done it before. They've got belief. And when he can knock down shots of the difficulty that Steph Curry does, he just makes him a nightmare to defend. So if he's feeling it, it doesn't matter what you do, he's going to be able to knock down a deep three. Is it one of the more remarkable performances from Steph Curry and him taking this Golden State Warriors to where they are now in terms of the fact he hasn't had a lot of help? You normally have those two superstars on a team, three superstars, if you if you will, but Clay Thompson hasn't been quite the same since coming back from injury, and we know Draymond Green really hasn't been his, himself. It's really all been Steph Curry, and yet we're sitting at two all with a red-hot chance of Golden State going on to make it four championships in the last seven years. You know, and you're right about that. But what I love about Golden State is you see guys, they, they're not trying to do things that they can't do. They're not trying to be the heroes. So Draymond Green will get two offensive rebounds. He throws it back out to the three, goes again, gets a board, throws it back out. So he's trying to play his role and allow someone like Steph Curry to be the superstar he is. And I think that's what brings down a lot of teams, that 
you know, too many guys are trying to throw up shots that they, you know, low percentage shots. And uh, they sort of don't have a whole lot of ego for a, a superstar team in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. There looks to be a really good camaraderie amongst them, doesn't it, um, Shane? We saw Clay Thompson and the way he spoke about Steph post-game and Andrew Wiggins and Andre Guadala and, and Gary Payton. He seems like he was he's just honoured to be a part of the squad. He spoke, I think, before game four yesterday and said a few years ago he was applying to be uh, a videographer or something with the squad and in a couple of years later he's playing. It's incredible, really, and I think every team strives to be able to have that sort of camaraderie and mindset and selfishness, unselfishness, but it's really difficult to be able to deliver on, especially in the world of the NBA where, you know, you've got guys that are, you know, making 20 and $30 million. So to be able to sacrifice and play your role and be happy to play whatever role that is to try and help the team win is something that makes them very special. Shane, going forward tactically, what do Boston do now? I mean, Steph Curry, you've spoken about him at length in regards he's had a massive game and they still lose. So do you designate someone to try and shadow him and just sort of curtail him even further or do you just play your own brand, your own style, so to speak, to try and see them off again? I've always been a big believer in any sport that you've got to be able to restrict the superstars and you've got to put everything you can into trying to limit those guys. And even someone like Steph, he might get 30 points, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to wear him down and limit his percentages, make him throw up a whole lot of bad ones. Difficult, easier said than, than done. Um, but I think that's the strategy. But Boston aren't that far away either. You know, Jason Tatum, he went 8 for 23 in that last game. So he's really struggled to find his form from percentages anyway, but they've got a lot of weapons and they're tough. And I wouldn't write them off right now, just like I didn't write off um, Golden State in that last game. They're close. They're tough. With three games to go in the series, Shane, we saw what Steph did yesterday, but do you feel like Clay, Wiggins and Draymond have to do more in the final three to get Golden State over the line? You wouldn't think you could rely on Curry to produce 40 or 50 in the final three games to get Golden State home? No. I mean, they wouldn't want to be relying on it, um, but... You know, they've got the talent there to be able to do it, um, to be able to step up. And I, I think they can. There'll be one of these games where one of those guys will stand up and be the difference maker. But um, they'll certainly be giving first options to Steph like they should. Uh, and Steph's smart enough too that, you know, if he gets somebody else open, he's going to throw that extra pass. He's unselfish. Um, and he wants to win as much as anybody right now. Mm, absolutely. What do you make of the form of Draymond Green? It was uh, almost comical yesterday. We saw even his mum sending out a, a tweet um, bagging his performance. Yeah, I mean, and he's one of those guys that he's happy to put his hand up and say how badly he played as well. Others sort of deflect. I like Draymond. I mean, he's a, you, you listen to the crowd. I love the fact that they're all giving it to him. Um, he he wouldn't that wouldn't be putting him off, uh, but he, he's the sort of guy that I think will bounce back. But not necessarily from you know going to get twenty and ten. He's a guy that just has an influence on the game by doing the little things, and he's such an agitator, and which is going to be able to help them. He's almost a protector of Steph as well. So I think playing that role gives the other guys a lot of confidence, and uh, I expect him to be able to bounce back. Shane Crystal balling, three games to go, as Alex said. Uh, how do you see it all? Do we just take it one game at a time? <laughs> well, I think it would be smarter to take it one game at a time um, and easier probably, <laughs> but I, you, you just can't help but feel this this series deserves seven games. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough, tough to predict because both teams are just so talented and they're playing well together. And, you know, there's a part of me that loves seeing what Boston 
has done because no one really gave them a chance at the start of the year to be able to get to this sort of level. But, you know, they've been able to get through some difficult times early, new coach, and be able to find their way. They've been impressive, but, you know, my heart's still with Golden State as well. I just love what they do and and love their personalities and, and who they are as an NBA team. What did you make of the Australian Boomer squad that was announced a couple of days ago for the FIBA World Cup qualifiers? Some some big names in there, or some good names in there, of course. Matthew Delavadova, probably the headline. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of the NBL guys that will probably make never make a team, you know, to go to the Olympics. But what it's done is it's rewarded guys like Jack McVeigh, who was fantastic during the year and helped Tassie be able to get to a grand final. So I think those guys that have really improved their game and, and gone to another level to put on the green and gold is something that um, is special. And what it does is it just shows that if you play well uh, at the NBL level, even though we've got a lot of NBA superstars that obviously come back and guys from Europe as well, uh, that you're going to get your chances to be able to put your best foot forward. And good to see Josh Giddy spending a bit of time over here in the off-season giving back. He's done a few camps and uh, done a few appearances. So it was great to see him after his first season in the NBA back and giving back to the Australian community. He's just a superstar and, um, you know, great family. And, you know, I was teammates with his dad, Warwick Giddy, that was just one of the best teammates you'll ever have. And no surprise that, you know, Josh is a great kid as well. And can't wait to see him get back for his second year in, in the NBA. But even more so, I can't wait to see him in the green and gold alongside Paddy Mills and Joe Ingalls and, and these guys. So special time. We've got a whole lot of great kids coming through. Dyson Daniels looks like he's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft on June 23, I think it is. And, um, you know, we just keep producing such great players for such a small country you know, around the world. When do you think, before we let you go, Shane, when do we Shane, just quickly on the... Sorry, Brad, I'll go. Just when, you, when do you think we'll see uh, Josh in the green and gold colours with the likes of Paddy Mills, Joe Ingalls, potentially Ben Simmons. When's the, when's the first opportunity? I know we've got the Asia Cup coming up. Yeah, I'm not sure when that is. Um, but obviously it's outside the NBA mm. uh, time. There'll be qualifiers and things where, you know, our second team will sort of put their um, best foot forward. But um, outside the NBA, those guys will come together. And, you know, I thought Josh should have gone to the last Olympics. I just felt like um, having a young guy on the bench, you, you know, soak up all that atmosphere and, and culture of what the Boomers stand for would have been great. But he'll be there the next opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, Brad, do you have a last question? Yeah, I was just going to say to uh, Hammer, uh, obviously uh, Bryce Cotton put himself in rarefied air on Friday night being named the, uh, no surprise, the MVP for the Wildcats again. Where does he sit in the, uh, in the pantheon of uh, imports for the, uh, for the Perth Wildcats, do you think? Oh, he's one of the all-time greats. I, I think, um, you know, when you're the MVP of the league multiple times and you're winning championships, um, you have to be one of the greats. But there's a long list of great players that have played for the, the Wildcats, like we know. But um, And he's got to be in the conversation, Bryce Cotton, as well, for one of the better imports we've seen of all time in the history of the NBL. And I, I know a lot of people try and push that conversation down, and um, but he's well and truly on the way. And longevity normally gets you there, but seen guys like Leroy Loggins do it for a long, long time, and he's certainly catching up to some of those greats. Shane, thank you so much for your time this morning. Always appreciate your time here on TAB Radio, and enjoy the rest of the NBA final series. My pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Good on you. Shane Hill joining us. It is 29 minutes past seven. You're on TAB Radio with Alex Lajos and Brad Hardy, and we'll be chatting to Chris Parnham next. The Aftermath. Every Sunday morning from 6 o'clock on Tab Radio Racing and Sports.
Let's just continue our look at the AFL round. Of course, we did touch briefly on the Fremantle Hawthorne mm. and Brisbane St Kilda games at the top of the program. Just recapping your thoughts on those two games, Brad. Yeah, well, Fremantle was a terrific game. I mean, I I thought they'd be testing them, Hawthorne, and the tricky conditions. You know, Fremantle have been exposed to wet and slippery conditions a couple of times, one up at the humidity and a little bit of rain at the Gold Coast, and they came off second best. And then Collingwood came to the town and took them to task uh, quite handsomely in that one, and that performance proven pretty good with Collingwood the way they're going, playing tomorrow. But Hawthorne came and they physically tested Fremantle yesterday, which was terrific. I'm not talking about Blake Akers doing a hamstring and Nat Five making his comeback, but I really like the, the competitiveness of both teams. High scoring in uh, what we thought was going to be tricky conditions, but in the end it didn't uh, turn out that way. But just the spread of goal kickers for Fremantle would have liked it being alike for Justin Longmuir, Banfield, Collier, Schultz and Walters all figuring with a couple of goals each there as well. Sarong's playing some really good football. Young Young off that halfback looks like he's going to be an absolute belter going forward for sure. But Hawthorne didn't lose any admirers either. And under Sam Mitchell, they look like they're fast-tracking towards being a, a very competitive potential top eight chance next year in a in a competition that's really, really tight. And then last night was a bizarre game, to be honest, Alex. Um, it didn't reach any great heights. It was pretty much a low-scoring affair, 10 goals to 8 in favour of the Brisbane Lions. They just got away from injury-wise to Kilda succumbed late in the, in the uh, last 15 minutes of that particular game. But yeah, Brisbane, right up there. Fremantle, right up there. Melbourne play tomorrow. Had a lot of external problems during the week, as we know, so they've got to get back on the horse tomorrow for the uh, the MND freeze game down at the MCG. Extraordinary weekend, unfortunately, so far for injuries. Last night, Mitch Owens, Dan McKenzie, Zach Jones failed mm. to finish. Dane Zorko and Gardner for the Lions. Of course, we had Blake Akers and Sam Frost, who didn't finish the Freo Hawthorne game on Friday night. We had Adam Chira yeah. and Darcy Parrish, two of the prime movers for their respective clubs, subbed out. And on Thursday nights, uh, we had... Uh, <laughs> Trent Dumont subbed out, and there was a, that nasty head clash as well between Zach Butters and, and Jonas. Well, mate, the only Jim I went to was Jim Beam. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't get it these days. I mean, you get to a stage where a lot of these are soft tissue injuries. They're not collision injuries. You know, we had that one with Jonas and, and Co. the other night where they clashed heads. But uh, essentially all of those ones that you just read out before are pretty much soft tissue, hamstrings, calves, uh, that type of thing. I just find that extraordinary in this day and age. And I know they want power and speed, but at some point you can't have it all. I, I think what you need to do is be lithe, be agile, be, you know, I mean, and a lot of them are the Indigenous players too that have cut this year in particular in the last couple of years have come up with these soft tissue injuries you just never heard of, you know, and I can't recall Stephen Michael having a soft tissue injury, to be honest. I mean, they're just wiry characters. Let them play to what their body allows them to, and it's just, it's just, it's just a bit odd. So well, maybe it's the way they train them these days, Alex. I'm not into fitness and conditioning, and uh, I know you are a little bit, but God almighty, it's uh, something's not right there. I'm not certainly not into fitness and conditioning. <laughs> you haven't seen me in a while. Uh, Richmond v Port Adelaide, Essendon v Carlton. Uh, Richmond 12 points over Port Adelaide on Thursday night. Carlton did the job against Essendon on Friday night. Anything to add or mm. to note out of those two games? Well, I think the low crowd on the Port Adelaide game, there's only 21,000 there, I think, at the MCG, which was well under. So we're going to have a lot more Thursday night games next year, and Perth might be in the, in the chatter on that one because it's all about the TV. 
you know, they want to beam it back in at the right time. So we're better to have, uh, you know, games of football on a Thursday and a Friday night than in Perth, Western Australia, starting at sort of 5.30, 5.40 sort of thing. Do you like that? I don't know. I'd, I know there's a lot of traffic issues with people getting to and from the ground and out of the city on a work day and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm not panicking about that Thursday night crowd because Port Adelaide aren't a great um, dragger of crowds in Melbourne. But next week they've got Carlton and Richmond. I think we'll have a better idea, mate, as to uh, how Thursday night footy's going to go because I reckon there'll be 70,000 or 80,000 plus there now. We, we should touch on this uh, upcoming topic uh very quickly, Brad. We've got a text through about it as well. Chris Parnov's on the line, so we'll get to Chris in a moment. But we have got a text, so I'll read it out. Bailey Smith said he spiralled out of control when they lost the grand yeah. final, and I fully understand that you let your hair down after it's all over, but I can't help what would have happened had the Dogs won the grand final. So we, we haven't touched on Bailey Smith, Brad. What's your yeah. take on all of that? Oh, I'm extremely disappointed, naturally, like everybody. And uh, I think, uh, and this is a, this is a, he's one element of a big problem in AFL and I, I don't think we're you know we can't duck it you know I, I, the AFL drugs policy is a, is, is a nonsense absolute nonsense and you know the AFL Players Association will say well the players agree to you know to do the extra testing for illicit and recreational if they want to call them that you know I don't but uh, it's not in my wheelhouse it never has been I understand how young people roll these days but you know, I, I think there should be a little bit more motivation by fear in this regard uh, Alex, and uh, yeah, I dare say he'll be fronting the integrity of the AFL during the week. And if they don't, the club should uh, sort of certainly address this. I mean, you, yes, you want to nurture and you want to throw your arms around them and all of that sort of stuff. But this, this was a normal, general member of the public. It should be a different story altogether. And just quickly, does he get a ban or suspension? Uh, oh, has to. Yeah, has yeah. to. And I think that's that's got to be club driven as much as anything else. Okay. But the AFL, and, and, and I don't want to say it in a really meaning, meaningful. Uh, meaning way is, is that you know burn one or educate a thousand that's what I think The Aftermath every Sunday morning from 6 o'clock on Tab Radio Racing and Sport it is 17 minutes to 8 o'clock. Great day in the saddle yesterday for Chris Pine. And one oh, of his yes. victories was in the feature the Hyperion Stakes aboard the Michael Grantham trained Captain Chaos Tested by Massimo. Laverod waits his turn back on the inside of Black Shadow. They're being followed by Captain Chaos. Now Johnston Porter's gone back inside of them here with God has chosen. And he's back in a bit of traffic. They're trying to work his way clear. Massimo hits the front. Massimo gets to the lead from Maracino. Captain Chaos. God has chosen. Taking a long time to build. Laverod's coming. Massimo. Captain Chaos. Now God has chosen. Captain Chaos in front though. Captain Chaos. Captain Chaos has upset the favourite. God has chosen. Johnston Porter went right back inside of traffic there at the 300 metre mark and uh, he got a bit of a checkered pathway. Maracino over on the inside closer. Yes, great day for Chris Parnham yesterday. One of the originals here on the Aftermath. It was uh, a part of the show back when Scott Embry and Mark Holmes were doing their thing and we welcome him back to the program now. Chris, a very good morning to you. Congratulations on your double yesterday. Yeah, good morning and thank you and yes, I do remember those early days. That was <laughs> Good coming on the show. <laughs> hey, Chris, well done. Congratulations. Uh, I've watched that replay many, many times. Peach of a ride by you. Were you a little bit worried at the 200 because he just seemed to be a little flat? We were able to sort of use our barrier, which sort of won us the race, and we used we used that. And able to get into a good position in the run. Um, and, look, yeah, at the 200, he, he, he did labour a little bit, but... Um, 
he, he was just sort of the last man standing pretty much and um, he was just too good. Chris, did the win surprise you at all and the manner of the victory given his last start performance or did you think the step up to 16 and uh, it'd be okay and uh, you were not surprised at all after the win yesterday? Oh, look, I'm probably a little bit surprised because his run in the Belmont Sprint was was pretty average, you know. Like, he, he didn't... He was sort of three wide the whole way, but and didn't pull up that great, but he was still beaten a long long way. Um, so I didn't go into the race thinking that he was a good thing or anything like that, but um, always been pretty confident with his ability. So um, I guess, you know, I'm not surprised that he that he won because of his ability, but probably just because his last start was just not not that good. It's like driving a car, really, isn't it, Chris? I mean, you've got to not only ride your own horse, but you've got to be aware of what everybody else was doing. And Did you have a good handle on where Goddess Chosen was? Oh, no, I had no idea where Goddess Chosen was. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't really see him in the run until right on the line. So um, <laughs> but, uh, I've watched the replay a couple of times and, you know, he saw, saw the sort of run he had. But, um, yeah, no, I didn't know where he was in the run. How about Mickey G, Chris? Michael Grantham, he's done a wonderful job with his uh, team in such a short space of time since he started training. Yeah, he's doing a good job, uh, Michael. He's you know, obviously been a, always been a good horseman, so he does the double code. So um, slowly starting to drift away from the harness, I think, and and um, getting to the thoroughbred. So, but no, Did you ever ride against him? A couple of years and he's gone flying. What's that? Did you ever ride against Michael, or had he retired from the saddle by the time you started? Nah, he he just finished before I um before I started. Yeah. What's next? Do you think uh, for Captain Chaos? Have you spoken to Michael about where he goes next? Yeah, the logical race for him now would be the Strickland, um, which is in a fortnight over two thousand metres, same conditions. So. Uh, I think, you know, providing he pulls up well from yesterday's run, he'll push on to that race and, and then he'll probably go to the paddock and come back for the summer carnival. Chris, uh, back to the first race of the day, final series. You probably were pretty happy when Upper Limits was taken out. You rated this out in front an absolute treat and you must have been supremely confident at the 600-metre mark the final series would be able to see it out. Yeah, that horse coming out was... Um, you know, obviously beneficial to our chances. We took the speed out and we were able to just lead on our own terms. And um, at the 600, I was reasonably confident, but uh, it quickened up nicely from the sort of 500 and then, yeah, just was, yeah, toughed it out really well. I, I, I felt um, a horse coming at me at the, at the 150 and I thought, oh, maybe I'm in a little bit of trouble, but I uh, my horse sort of dug in deep and um, was a good win. Yeah, he's a pretty stoic type. Do you know where to now for final series? And is he a horse that you think over the coming seasons will get a bit of ground or will he be a 1,400 to 1,600 metre type? Could he possibly be a guineas type in the spring? Yeah, I think final series will go to paddock now. Um, probably will come back for a spring-summer campaign. I think his best distance would be... Um, probably around a mile. I don't know if he's got the talent to measure up in the guineas when you're talking horses like Amelia's Jewel. Mm, yeah. uh, but um, he possibly could head in that pathway and 
if he's not up to that level, then I'm sure there's other options for him around the same time. From a selfish point of view, Chris, I've got to ask you, what are you doing Thursday? <laughs> Thursday, I'll be going northern, I think. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, of course, uh, Alex, I've got a little, little share in a nice little filly called Honeydew with uh, Peter Simic and a few of the, the boys. We're hoping that Chrissy might be on it. So we'll see how we go, Chris. Hey? Have you accepted no, the right, the drag, Chris? I think. I've got the drag. I think JJ Brown's on it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Jimmy hasn't sent out the letter, so we don't know. <laughs> going to give him a winner on his return. <laughs> Chris, what, what, did you, what did you make of the run of Angelic Miss yesterday running into third? Oh, she was good, but, you know, she's not a 1,000-metre horse, so she needs 1,200. Because they went so fast with Mervyn, and I was just sort of at her the whole way, you know, like it just takes away from her turn of foot late in the race. So I, I was happy with her run, but, you know, next time at 1,200, I think she will be, you know, very hard to beat. Chris, beautifully done. Thank you so much for your time this morning, mate. Really appreciate it. Well done on the double yesterday. Yeah, no dramas. Thanks for having me on. Chris Parnham joining us on The Aftermath. It is nine minutes to eight o'clock. We'll take a break, Brad, and be back with Brett Lenton's look at Kalgoorlie. A long-time bookmaker and form analyst, Brett Lenton has always had the ability to pick a winner. Tipsters never retire. Hopefully, they get wiser. It is with great pleasure that we introduce the Burswood Report, featuring Brett Lenton. Good morning, Brett. How do we find you this morning? Yeah, well, well, Alex, yeah, yeah. Good card today. Um, it's, uh, towards the end of the card, uh, I think the winners are fairly well hidden. Yeah, there's some big fields in the quaddy legs, or 10, 15, 10 and 11, certainly getting uh, some decent sizes there as we progress into the uh, meat of the Kalgoorlie season. Uh, where do we start for our first selection, Brett? Yeah, first two a bit thin for me. I start off in race three. I didn't intend to pick it coming on the radio this morning. Hilton, when I went to bed, was about 220. It's out to 270. Uh, I don't know why. It said six starts, won three of them. Uh, two starts ago, win. To Pinjarra and it was a fifteen hundred. It got bumped and fifteen hundred wasn't its go. And its book ended two wins either side. Its win last start was enormous. At three deep throughout, but Shadow Boom, good time. Shadow Boom is going to be heavily fancy later on the day. Looks the best for me. Race three, number five, Hilton. Punter save on, uh, and you know what he's on first strike. Eleven hundred's his best distance. It doesn't win out of turn two from forty. This is the lowest career weight at fifty one and a half. Last time it drew this barrier, bungled the start and got beaten less than two lengths by Protected Action, who's second favourite in this, and it meets at eight and a half kilos better. Throw it in, it's about 20 to one. So 275 special from eight. 270 Hilton, the special, and uh, 16 and 550 currently about a first strike after the scratchings of the six and the seven. Of course, Hilton trained by young Nicholas Thomas. He's had a remarkable start to his training career. He's yeah, had seven runners yeah, this season at Kalgoorlie for four winners in a second. Yeah. Going at 57%, not bad. It's only a small sample, but like what I see. Yes, uh, next, Alex, in race four, um, yeah, the video run of the week was probably imperialism. Like uh, Meet Joe Black's racing terrifically, and as I said, Shadow Boom's well in the betting, but it's uh, had only had seven runs imperialism, only once has it finished further back than second. Uh, it's win, it defeated Roman Flirt, has had 27 starts with seven wins and 12 pacings. It was a blistering last 600. Um, Tegan Klum added the blinkers to it, and it's down four and a half kilos. Very hard to beat. Race four, number six, Imperialism. $2.90 with Tab Tut. Do we play the fifth? Yeah, this is a spin in the wheel, but we've got to have a go. Um, 
first run for uh, Cliff Smith and Joe Leeson was Zangief. <clears throat> Got out the back, went to the line under very little riding from nearly last, charged through the line, um, claims for an apprentice here. It's down four kilos, I think 1,200's uh, better. It came off no trial for them as well. Uh, just the video run got me. So I'm race five, number four, Zangief. Nobody plays, throw in big fish. Uh, it, uh, again, doesn't win out of turn. Um, it's been freshened up. I heard its last run was OK, um, coming off a break. So throw it in your nobody's race uh, five. We've got four. From five. Zangief at six fifty and big fish eleven dollars and three fifty each way. We've got uh, ten to go around in the sixth. Are we playing there? Yeah, great race. Uh, finger mark. I'm going to go against six starts first up. Never Cuban twist six seventy two days back to thirteen hundred. We'll give it a miss. I don't dismiss our Danny. Like I think it's racing okay and there's been heavily found. I reckon down the bottom's your winner. Um, probably. Out of it's out of a little cess. I, I think Jake Star little cess. Well, gee whiz, I've had last uh, four runs. It's won three of the four. Um, Lisa Staples ridden on on the, all those occasions. The occasion was beaten an apprentice rode it and it was just in the middle of the track the whole race. Great track record. Um, barrier ten's not an issue. It gets back, but I'm going to back Jake Star to beat it. Uh, four wide, three out, no cover in town. It was there with 200 to go. Massive run. Three wide, no cover the start. Some cover the start before and blitzed and no love like the start before that. So I'm going to go uh, race six, number 10, Jake Stunt. Nobody plays. Throw in Black Comet. This is the last roll of the dice for me. Like, it's been awful three runs back. Um, <clears throat> its track distance record is terrific. Um, there should be ample pace on it for in this race. Peter Fernie's with the blinkers back on this horse. Last go for me. So 10 from 8. Jake Star, 5.50 to win, and Black Comet, $26 and $5. Not beaten too far last time out, hoping for some improvement. And the Railway Football Club Handicaps Race 7, are we playing? Yeah, looks looks the top two, doesn't it? A total lockdown, six weeks between runs. Last start, beat Imperialism was a strong win, and, of course, talk it up with betting it gone any longer. It opened 2.50, finished up seven. I bet it would have been 11 and missed the start, so it didn't take any part. And I think it's been found early in betting too. It's $4 into about 3.20, but it does appear to be the two. I'm probably loath to have a bet. I, I, I'm, again, throw one in for your nobody's here, deliberation. Form looks awful. 10 from 11, eight lengths, and then last start, six from nine. The 10 from 11, it was bolting all the way down the straight, couldn't get out, and last start got a squeeze. I'm thinking mad for Ned Newton, uh, race seven, more a place than anything, number five, deliberation. We'll okay. have a quaddy. Okay, uh, quick quaddy before we get to the news. Yeah, one, six, ten, first leg. Second leg, two, three, four, five. Yep. A little fishing for a bit of value. Uh, the difficult uh, second last, four, seven, eight, nine. Yep. And home in two, three, five. We'll throw deliberation in. That'll cost you one forty-four for a dollar, Alex. Lovely work. Thanks for that, Brad. Appreciate it.